Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard for a very special Sunday here with Human Events. We just completed our China Files series, and we wanted to keep the discussions going because there's so much more that's happening right now in the world with the CCP, as well as in different regions of the world in the CCP. And I wanted to take this time, because we have the Sunday special, to bring on someone who is an expert in CCP influence and CCP information operations, not only in the United States and around the world, but specifically in the Asia Pacific region and in the nation of Japan. And so that's why I wanted to bring in all the way, she joins us from Okinawa today. It is Masako Ganaha. Masako, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Now, Masako, for those who don't follow her, she's on uh, YouTube. She's on Rumble. They're always trying to ban her on YouTube. But she is an, an incredible information and international journalist. We actually met in Washington, D.C., I think just a few days after January 6th. And we were going through all of the footage from January 6th. We were looking at everything that was going on in there. But obviously, your focus isn't necessarily U.S. It's more focused on Japan, but specifically the influence of CCP the World Economic Forum, Davos, globalism, because personally, I feel that in the West, we see the CCP and the World Economic Forum working together. Do you see the same thing in Japan? Yes, yes. Uh, recently, uh, I've been digging into WEF. Uh, I started to call not WEF, but WEF. That's easier. Mm -hmm. That's how they call it in Europe. And WEF, they have a summer Davos in, in China every year. And yes, so they have strong connection. And as you know, they uh, post, uh, they created a website for people to follow this year's Davos and they excluded Twitter. But because of the um, true media talking about this, they added Twitter. So <laughs> it's really funny how they react to um, many internet uh, news. So World Economic Forum, they're holding this WEF, and that is how they say it in Europe. Actually, when I visited there and attended before I was detained, I think uh, I remember you saw uh, this last summer in when they because they moved it because of COVID to May of 2022. So I was detained by the World Economic Forum police. And of course, Reuters got very, very upset and they said, no, it's not the World Economic Forum police. It's just the police who've been assigned to the World Economic Forum. It's completely and utterly different. Um, and so, of course, they were fact-checking me on all of this and trying to delete my posts and videos. But I noticed that when they were there, they kept saying WEF, WEF, WEF. So we don't usually say that in the U.S., but that's right. Internationally, they would, they would call it WEF. So when they are holding WEF in this summer session that's being held in China, uh, who attends? Is it the same group of people? Is it Klaus Schwab? But do people from the CCP also attend? And for people that need to understand, uh, at the World Economic Forum conference in Davos, the number one delegation is the United States. The number two delegation in there in Switzerland is from the Chinese Communist Party. So when it's being held in China, do you see the same international footprint as well as from CCP? Uh, yes, and actually, uh, as Klaus Schwab states during one of his interview, he says he uh, admired the system in China. So what they're doing is completely uh, the same. And uh, myself being Japanese, 
I'm always looking at how they influence Japan. And uh, I am seeing this as like Japan is not even a player. Our government officials are just pu puppet. Uh, it's really sad to say this, but that's what I've been finding out. So in what ways do you find that Japan has become a puppet of the CCP? Obviously, most Americans, of course, were praying for Japan because of the horrific incident with uh, Shinzo Abe, former prime minister, earlier or just uh, later last year that took place. And of course, Shinzo Abe was known for being extremely uh, supportive of Japanese nationalism, supportive of a strong defense, was known as a conservative. And people were very, very concerned that this horrific incident may have had some connection to the CCP. Yes, uh, his assassination, uh, it's, there are so many mysteries and the police in Japan and of government, Japanese government, wants to uh, end this argument that this one suspect just did it on his own. But there are many other thing, journalists trying to figure out what really happened still now because there are so many things that doesn't make sense. And uh, to your uh, question, how... How is it? How can I say that Japanese government is just a puppet? Uh, actually, in Japan, uh, let me tell you the atmosphere in Japan. First of all, if you are to talk about World Economic Forum or, or if you mention the name Klaus Schwab, then you are considered to be crazy people, person. So this, um, in Japan, there are so many, um, propaganda going on trying to stop um, this World Economic Forum um, um, criticize critics. So uh, our government, they go to Davos and they address speeches and they also implement the policy based on what they uh, de decide, what have been decided in Davos, but then they do not give us explanation how they got idea from Davos or what their connection to them. So as a, Jap as, Japanese, as a Japanese, I am trying to explain and wake up Japanese people that our official, what they're telling us is not from their mouth, but the people above our officials. That's why I say that our government is not even a player, they're just puppet. They are successfully um, hiding this um, channel, like how they implement the policy. So it's really um, severe situation in Japan. And so because of this atmosphere, you're seeing this from, now Japan is not like the United States where there's no First Amendment, there's no uh, constitutional protection, the same way we have in U.S. But are you seeing that from the government side as well? Is the government willing to come in and censor this information about WEF and about CCP? Well, in Japan, the tendency is that uh, more of quote-unquote mainstream media is trying to hide from us. And because not so many people, Japanese people, speak or read in English, 
people cannot get to the actual information. So people who woke up and then uh, have ability to read and speak in English can get right information. That language barrier is one of the uh, huge uh, issue also. And also the fact checker, quote unquote fact checker. Oh, yes. They we have are, the quote unquote yes. fact checker here in the U.S. as well. Yes. And also you, YouTube, too. We have huge censorship. So if actually, if you were to talk about um, topics like World Economic Forum or CCP, then they will take down your video. And actually, I have a YouTube channel and I got two strikes. <laughs> and two strikes already? The, for what? <laughs> One is uh, the video I talked about uh, CCP. And one year later, I published the video on CCP threat to Japan. They just, one day, they just gave me email saying that this video violates our policy. So they took down my content. So that was my uh, first strike. <laughs> So you're saying this took place uh, almost two years after the original video itself was posted, that you received a strike from YouTube in Japan? Yes, one year. And not only one. myself, but many other journalists who mm -hmm. focuses on CCP, their videos were taken down or uh, their channel was banned. That's well, been going on. Yeah, yes. Well, I was just going to say that it sounds like a very similar situation that we're facing here in the United States. And that's why we use platforms like Rumble. We use accounts like, of course, we still have Twitter, but we also have Getter. And then we have places like Rumble where we can go and put all of the videos up and not face this kind of censorship that's going on. Rumble, I think, just revamped their website. Have you set up a Rumble yet? Uh, actually, yes, I do have Rumble and I upload all of my videos, but uh, I'm trying to uh, spread those information that there are alternative uh, social media. But because Japanese people cannot uh, read in English, they, the platform itself is not available in Japanese. That's one of the issues that many Japanese people cannot uh, go. Okay. But, oh, but we will, good news we will, is... We'll, we'll talk to them. We'll see if we can fix that. I'm sure we can fix that. Yes, and good news is uh, recently Getter started their Japanese branch. So it's going to be available in Japanese also. So I hope that it will spread in Japan. Well, that's tremendous because I know Twitter, and we're coming up on our first break here, but is it true that Twitter is still one of the most popular social medias in Japan? Yes. Actually, Elon Musk stated that uh, Twitter is more famous uh, in Japan than any other country. I think that's right. Actually, if you look at month on month, I've seen those numbers that if you look month on month, the terms of daily active users, monthly active users in Japan is actually larger than any other country. So that's why it's key. If you want to understand how Twitter works, if you want to understand Twitter's business, you need Japan to be in there. Now, of course, Twitter is banned in China, but if the CCP, right, think about it in terms of influence, 
if they want to influence the United States, if they want to influence Japan, their neighbor, uh, of course, CCP or China and Japan have had uh, many, many wars over the years to include World War II, to include many other conflicts. That is something that they need to focus on, which is Twitter. Stay tuned. We're coming right back with international journalist Masako Kanaha. Okay, this is Jack Pasovic here at Human Events. We are back with Masako Ganaha, the international journalist out of Okinawa. She joins us today from Okinawa. And we were just talking about how YouTube is taking down your information, your journalism about the CCP and particularly their threat to Japan. So let's go through that. We know, of course, that CCP is a military threat to Japan. Everyone knows this. Uh, certainly also a military threat to um, to Taiwan and a military threat. You have the, the islands as well that are disputed between China and Japan. But what about the information warfare? What about the influence threat? Tell me, walk us through what is the influence threat of the CCP in Japan? Okay, uh, thank you very much for bringing this topic on. Uh, because I live in Okinawa. It's a little island located in southern part of Japan. This uh, island is particularly targeted for decades by CCP. That's why I started my uh, journalism. And we have local new two newspapers heavily infiltrated from CCP. So all the, all the news information we get from those local newspapers are filled with uh, propaganda. And especially those uh, newspapers target on U.S. basis. And before I go deep into this, let me give you the broad picture. Mm. So CCP's information operation heavily deployed on Okinawa, southern part of Japan, and Hokkaido. Hokkaido is located in northern part of Japan. Those two places are the key place for them to... Uh, infiltrate, and especially Okinawa, because we have U.S. bases, they want to get rid of it because that's easier for them to invade, right? And so there has been huge propaganda going on saying that people live in Okinawa, we say Okinawans, Okinawan people are discriminated against by U.S. and Japan. That's how they try to divide and conquer us. So many local Okinawan people are brainwashed, thinking that they are the victim of those policies. And they sometimes bring up um, heartbreaking um, crime. That kind of things happened. For example, uh, rape or drink and drive, uh, drink and driving by American soldiers. Those things happen, but it's not because they are Americans. There are many bad people, whether they are Americans or Japanese. But those things, they will bring this uh, accident or the crime big enough that they brainwash us to think that we have to get rid of US bases entirely. That's how this information operation is going on. And there are many activists came from all over Japan 
and they do protests in front of U.S. bases. But those are the ones who came outside of Okinawa, claiming that, pretending to be they are locals. Some activists moved to Okinawa in order to continue this uh, activism. They are not locals. They just moved a couple years ago, but they say, oh, I'm from Okinawa and I, I oppose U.S. bases. That's how their um, operation is going on. And this is the broad picture. And my, myself, I was born and raised in Okinawa. I know the real local people's voice, especially those who live around bases. They love American people. They have good friendship and they understand why we have US bases as long, of course, um, Japanese self-defense force too, because we are under the threat of CCP military invasion. And so there is this gap between real voice of local people and the quote unquote local people that appears on newspaper. That's why I say we can only trust the date on newspaper. Everything else, we have to turn it upside down and read it. That's well, how so, we can get. <laughs> so these activists, and, and actually, let me let me take a second so to make people understand this because just a few months ago there was an incident uh, between a U.S. sailor and his family, and a very unfortunate car accident that took place um, driving from Mount Fuji, and which is not in Okinawa, but um, it's about two hours from Yokosuka. And he, he was involved in a car crash. His car did hit pedestrians. I believe two people were killed. Um, I know one woman was killed. Some people were injured. That's what happened. One person was killed, one people were injured. He testified later that it was due to altitude sickness and he had fainted. So he wasn't drunk. He wasn't driving recklessly. He was given three years in jail for this. Um, they call it negligent manslaughter. And many people um, in the U.S., including President Biden, as well as other lawmakers, have petitioned. This is a U.S. Navy officer. And this just happened a couple of months ago to have him released. This punishment, um, particularly harsh for him, even compared to other instances of this happening before. And of course, it's horrible. And, and, and we're so horrified that this happened and we wish it never had happened. But I think it speaks to what you're talking about how some of them are treated differently than if this happened to um, regular uh, Japanese citizen where this is taking place. Now these activists, so for folks listening, this is something that comes up all the time, even obviously right now, there's, there is a US Navy officer currently in jail in Japan because of one of these issues. And the activists use this to push a wedge between US and Japan to say, we don't want you here, we don't want your bases here, we don't want your aircraft carriers. Yokosuka is the largest US Navy base outside of the United States. It is the main base for the United States 7th Fleet. It's the, the base where, where I visited many times when I was in an officer in the US 7th Fleet. Um, it's a great city, a lot of fun, just south of Tokyo. And it is a huge issue. But Masako, what I wanted to get into, wanted to ask you is these activists you're talking about, do they have a connection? Have you uncovered a connection between them and the CCP? Because certainly the goal of the CCP would be to drive 
a separation between the U.S. and Japan. Yes. Uh, so what I see the connection is in terms of um, what so-called Ryukyu Okinawa independence movement. Those people who oppose American bases also state that Okinawa is not part of Japan. They bring this to identity issue and then saying that Okinawa should be independent country so that they can get rid of the U U.S. bases, not only U.S. bases, but Japanese self-defense force too. That's how they use this logic to demilitarize Japan. And this Okinawa independence movement is actually promoted by CCP. If you go look into like Chinese newspaper, they say they state that Okinawa should be independent country. That's how they um, do information operation to divide and conquer. So we we can see the connection, and they also CCP also invite Japanese scholar to China, and then they have symposium talking about how Okinawa can be independent. So it's clear that they are trying to, by um, rewriting the history, they are trying to mm. destabilize Okinawa. So we can see, that's how we can see the connection. And also interestingly, it's not interestingly, but um, in, uh, North Korea, there is huge influence by North Korea to Okinawan, uh, those uh, activists. And sometimes the activists in Korea connected to North Korea, they come to Japan, especially Okinawa, and they do protest with those Japanese activists. And they held banner of the photos of Kim Jong-un, and then the president of Korea, and holding hands together. And they're saying, Korea is going to be united. So we don't have to be worried about the threat of North Korea. So we don't need those bases. That's how they did. That's how they promoted their propaganda. And they do dancing. And then uh, that, they, and then, those local newspaper, they took photos and they just uh, take those propaganda and then spread to um, Okinawan people. So this um, anti-US based activi activism has huge, um, what should I say, deep political um, Political and, and geopolitical ramifications. And for folks yes, to yes. understand, the island of Okinawa is only 450 miles from Taiwan. It's very, very close. We have about 50,000 U.S. forces there. That includes uh, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. Everyone is there because the United States is forward deployed to understand that if there is a war between the U.S. or between China and Japan, that Okinawa would be, and I, I said this on the show recently, certainly would be one of the very first 
targets in any war because China would know that Okinawa must be destroyed. All of the forces must be destroyed in order for them to take Taiwan, in order for them to take anything else on the, and certainly if they were to attempting to head to the mainland of Japan. We'll be right back in one minute because I want to talk more about potential scenarios for the outbreak of war in Japan, Okinawa, and China. All right, we return to Okinawa where we're discussing the targets of the CCP should there um, a military incident outbreak only 450 miles from Taiwan, massive amounts of U.S. military there. I think I kind of misspoke in the last segment. It's 50,000 U.S. troops for all of Japan and then about 26,000. So about half of those troops stationed on Okinawa Island itself between the U.S. Marine Corps, Air Force, Army and the U.S. Navy. Now, we've got huge Air Force base there, uh, F-15s, um, the Ospreys are located there. We've got so many forces out. So, Masako, from a perspective of the military, if there were a Taiwan war to break out, would Okinawa be involved on day one? For sure, yes. <laughs> I, I see um, we share the same fate with Taiwanese. So we must, for us Japanese, we must protect Taiwan. Otherwise, we will be in the same uh, terrible disaster. And uh, I would like to mention about what's happening around the Senkaku Islands. Uh, is that okay? Of course, yes. So the Senkaku Islands, this is, I mentioned this earlier on in the show, and the Senkaku Islands are a set of islands that are directly between Taiwan and Okinawa, only about halfway, right in right in the middle. And so Japan, Japan currently um, holds sovereignty over these islands, but China is constantly trying to push Japan off. And if I remember correctly, China just recently, a few weeks ago, flew a military aircraft a drone over these islands to penetrate the Japanese airspace. So talk to us some more about the Senkaku Islands and why this is so important. Uh, okay, uh, right now, the Senkaku area is very sensitive for us Japanese. And first of all, uh, I should mention as Japanese that there are no disputed area. It's our Japanese land. But uh, China is trying to steal from us. And uh, Senkaku Island is, uh, there are no people living on, but there used to be many people. There were, um, they make fish bonito. There was a factory and one civilian owned the island. But because of this huge threat by CCP, uh, this person decided to sell this land to Tokyo prefecture. But then at that time, the governor of Tokyo prefecture were strongly uh, conservative. So all of the Jap Japanese people welcomed this idea and many people donated for Tokyo to purchase this uh, island. But at that time, the prime minister, uh, leftist prime minister, he decided to intervene this negotiation. And uh, as a matter of fact, he uh, as a as a Japan as country bought this island, but that was kind of the start of tragedy actually, because now 
no one were allowed to land on Senkaku. And so it's really hard to, uh, for, for journalists too. We cannot go there to really see what's happening. So the only way for us Japanese to learn what's happening is through the government, uh, information. Uh, and also local fishermen sometimes go there. So they take photos on their own. They take videos. And that's how we can see what's really happening. And there is one member of the city council, uh, in Ishigaki city. Ishigaki city is the, um, district that Senkaku Island, uh, uh, what should I say? Includes. Senkaku it falls Island's, under that region. Yes, yes, yes. So this, uh, his name is Hitoshi Nakama. He became fisherman in order to go around that area. Because as a uh, journalist, I'm trying to go there. But if anybody other than fishermen try to go there, then Japanese government will stop you. Saying, um, I think it's unconstitutional actually, but they were saying that only fishermen were allowed to go there. But because when, when fishermen go there, then what happened is CCP vessel, they will chase those fishermen. So because of this dangerousness, not so many fishermen go there anymore. So that's the situation. And so many Japanese people are trying to um, push our government to do actual something to show Chinese that we own Senkaku Island. For example, um, we can maybe deploy somebody, um, officials from the government and so that they can do some kind of operation. By having Japanese living on those islands, that's the biggest message that we own this island. Which and Japanese government. And that, yes. that's, by the way, what you're saying, that's exactly what China has done in South China Sea. When they built those islands in the middle of South China Sea, the first thing they did was put military emplacements. And the second thing they did was to make Chinese citizens or, or invite Chinese citizens to come and live on these islands. Because when they find something and claim it as Chinese, they would put Chinese civilians there and say, look, we are living here. We have administration. We have schools. We have families. They have everything that a normal community would have. And so in order to do so, you notice the rest of the world does not do anything about these islands. But with Senkaku, the Japanese government, so the Japanese government, and for, to give everyone the timeline of this, this was only 2012. So it's only been 10 years since the government has purchased this from that private owner that you were talking about. And when that happened, um, I remember in China, the people were protesting and screaming. They're very upset about this, especially the nationalists in China. How dare you? How can you? This cannot happen. Those, those are our islands, Senkaku. They belong to us. And in Japan, it was said, to your point, everyone thought that there was going to be some development of these islands, potentially also development, not just for fishing, but for mineral rights, oil rights, shipping, trade, and as a military outpost. And yet the government has not done that yet. 
none of it. <laughs> so what I said that um, we were hoping for Tokyo to buy this island because the head of uh, Tokyo was strongly conservative and truly patriot. So he should have done something. Uh, but because the Japanese government purchased these islands, they, the, those area became untouchable area. So whatever Japanese patriots claim that what we should do, everything has been stopped. So actually, uh, right now, I'm still trying to figure out a way to go there as a journalist and You're take gonna go. videos. I am trying to actually last month, no, two months ago. You're so last so year. when the war starts, we'll know it's because of Masako. No, <laughs> no, war didn't war didn't stop because Masako went there. That's ah, what I wanted to. Okay, okay. <laughs> yes. So actually, there are patriot fishermen willing to offer me a ride to near the Senkaku. But we need to figure out uh, how we can do it uh, without um, Japanese government arresting me or without, um, well, I should find an uh, easier way so that not only myself, but other people can go. Like, I wanted to make this path for people to go there. And uh, I, I hope many American people would watch uh, some of the footage that fishermen, local fishermen took, they, those CCP vessel, it says Chinese Coast Guard. They will just chase those local fishermen's vessels for hours and hours. And they will tell those, those uh, fishermen that those area, like Japanese fishermen should not enter because it's their territorial water. But in between, Japanese um, Coast Guard vessel uh, enters. So they are trying to protect Japanese fishermen, but um, CCP's violation of Japanese territorial water and threat to local fishermen has been escalating. And it's this, not this going for, back. For people to understand, this is a, so for Japan, this is a territorial violation. Imagine if China were coming that close to part of the United States and then kicking our, our own fishermen out of our own waters off the coast of California, off the coast of Alaska, and Chinese ships were coming in saying that you can't fish here and then going after American citizens. This is what China is doing to Japan every single day when they go out there just to go fishing just to fish in their own waters of their own country. And so for many people looking at this situation, we'll talk more in the next segment about the broader picture, but for many people looking at just specifically the China-Japan relationship, they have said that because of China's repeated violations of the national sovereignty of these waters, that this is something because it inflames so many people these violations, that it could lead to the outbreak of something broader. Because what if something were to happen, Masako, to your point, what if one of these fishermen were injured? What if one of these ships were sunk right out there on the high sea? What if someone were killed by the actions of the Chinese military? This is something that could easily turn in, in addition to 
the Taiwan question, something that could easily turn into a kinetic flashpoint very, very quickly. And we're also talking, by the way, these waters, some of the most important shipping routes, some of the most important mineral rights in the world that are right there. There was, um, there's been uh, estimated petroleum deposits underneath. So it's a massive, massive issue. And for some reason, the Japanese government has yet to push China out of these islands. Come back with more CCP in Japan. And we're back now. In this last segment, I wanted to talk more of a broader sense about the public perception on either side, because Masako, I don't know if you know, but in China, if you go to China today, if you turn on the TV, if you go to the movie theater, um, do you know who the villain is in every single Chinese TV show and every single Chinese movie? Us. Right now is Japan. Every single, you can, from channel to channel to channel, everything you see, Japan is evil. Japan is the great enemy. Japan is uh, the, the greatest threat. We must remember what Japan uh, has done almost 100 years ago. We must fight against Japan. It, it is one of, I remember when I lived in, in China, when I lived in Shanghai, and I was um, just talking to someone in my office, and she was also Chinese. She was Chinese. And I said to her, oh, yeah, well, you know, here in here in Shanghai, I don't have a car because, uh, you know, driving and owning a car for foreign citizens is, is very hard to do in in China. But I do have a car back home. She said, what kind of car do you have? I said, Mitsubishi. Because at the time I drove a Mitsubishi. She did not talk to me for one month. For one month, oh she did goodness. not talk to me because she found out that I drove a Japanese car. This sentiment in China is very strong, even amongst uh, your average Chinese person, anti-Japanese sentiment. Um, all Chinese children are taught again and again, Japan is the enemy, Japan is the enemy. And so when I look at the history of Japan and China's relations between the, from the end of the war, through the communist era, from Mao Zedong era, through Deng Xiaoping, it seemed that in the 1990s, they started to really gain some economic and trade relations. But then in starting about 10 years ago, the same 10 years that we were just talking about this period, it's going in, grown increasingly hostile. Um, there are more and more incidents. The nationalist um, sentiment inside mainland China has gotten extremely large, as well as these violations. And this is probably what's pushing more and more of these violations of the territory of Japan. Now, when it comes to the Japanese side, what is the feeling in Japan? And I know you know Okinawa because that's where I are. What is the feeling towards China? Is it the same? Do you view China as this, you know, they're the enemy and we must destroy them kind of, kind of sense? Oh, to, to short answer, we don't feel this kind of uh, angry towards China, like part of our culture as Japanese, we do not hate to till like blood level. We don't have that kind of culture. So uh, we do not have hate against Chinese, even though we are heavily under threat. But average person's um, point of view 
Uh, let me introduce a survey conducted in 2015 by the government of Okinawa, uh, Okinawan Prefecture. And they asked people in Okinawa if you like China or not. And then the question was, what's your perspective towards China? And there are five uh, selections. One, good, uh, positive view. And then the second one, uh, like, mm, yes, but not best. And then the third one is that so-so, meaning not so good, mm, uh, what should I say, not so good uh, view. And then the fourth one is dislike China. And the fifth one is I don't want to answer. Okay. And overall, 8.3% says they have good mm, image. And the rest of it, they don't have good image. So 88% of Okinawan people, they don't have a good image towards China. And the reasons is re really interesting. And one of the most popular reasons that they do not like China is because the CCP is selfish uh, in terms of energy and resource and getting food, food, food issue. And then the other one is that they cannot understand Chinese people's action, patriotic action, or how they view their history. And the other one is that they twist history and then they criticize Japan. That's the main reason that people in Okinawa do not like China. So even though there are heavy information operation propaganda led by local newspapers and TVs, many Okinawan people answered that they do not like China, 88% in 2015. But many um, Okinawan people have other views too, meaning because Okinawan economy is heavily dependent on China, meaning because Okinawa is a tourist place and we have, we welcome a lot of Chinese tourists. So without those tourists, Okinawa economy cannot th thrive or survive. So recently, because of this uh, pandemic outbreak again in China, Many countries close the border towards China or they put strict uh, restriction. And Japanese government tried to implement something similar, but the tourism group in Okinawa said, please do not do it. They oppose uh, our government's policy. So CCP is really good at choking country, even though Okinawan people do not like Chinese attitudes, but they are already 
at our throat. Mm. So we were, um, it's like the same pattern. They will lend you a lot of money until they cannot give payback. And then they take the country, uh, they take whole country. That kind of invasion is happening. So that's the um, yeah, average atmosphere or the situation. That's the average person's view. Now, when it comes to the people connection with you're in Okinawa, you see Chinese tourists there. Do the people of Okinawa, do they view the Chinese people as separate from CCP? Do they view that as a separation or do they view it all as just part of China? Ah, oh, most of the people, they think not uh, when we see Chinese people, most of people don't see them as part of CCP. We see as an individual person. So what I usually try to um, aware, make aware of the situation is that those innocent-looking Chinese people can be a spy. Because in China, they have a law. Once they declare emergency or state of war, then all the citizens have to work for CCP. So if we, for example, hire people in like a bank in Japan, they, they can be a huge threat to us. But those kind of complicated situation is not so much uh, understood in Japan. So Japanese people are very naive in this sense. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, you look at, um, and even there are some factions of the LDP in Japan, the uh, the elites, these parties. I think it's the uh, the Tanaka faction. You know, they are very close with CCP. You see other people who are under this influence of the United Front Work Department. But we only have a few minutes left, and so Masako, if you could please tell everyone where they can follow you, where they can get more access to your work and your journalism and. Hopefully, uh, if you go to visit the Senkaku Islands, we'll be completely safe and you don't start World War III by, by visiting there and doing some fishing and sending up your, maybe do some drone videos. I have a friend uh, who did some drone videos of Jeffrey Epstein's island down in the Caribbean, actually. And he sailed there on his boat and then he did put up and did some drone videos after the arrest. But we would like to, we would obviously like to avoid Right. Any large scale war or any conflict over Senkaku's, over Taiwan, over Okinawa, of course, because these countries are so close together. To your point, the history is entwined. The fate is entwined. But there's the economies are entwined. But because of these issues and these violations, again, there still comes to be a chance for great conflict. Yeah, yes. Uh, thank you very much for uh, having me on today. And uh, I published my work on YouTube and Rumble and Getter. And I have also a Twitter account. And uh, I have my own website. Please visit masakoganaha.com. And I also would like to uh, tell, uh, express my appreciation because uh, Jack, your great work and many uh, American Patriot is spreading courage. And there is this uh, saying I like, 
courage is contagious. And right now, we need this huge pandemic. <laughs> courage pandemic in Japan. They have courage are... contagion. <laughs> yes. We are so isolated and most of the people still wear masks. So that's why mm. I'm trying to wake Japanese people up and we have a common enemy. So we need to come together and unite it and uh, save our own country by cooperating. So, and I really admire American people's fight because you're the only citizen who have the final mean to fight against government, which is the second amendment. We are not allowed to arm ourselves in Japan, which is, um, we, so we are heavily, uh, dependent in this matter. So I really appreciate American people's fight. That's what I would like to tell people. Well, thank you so much, Masako. God bless you. Next time you're in the U.S., we'll have to go shooting together. How's that sound? Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> All right. Sounds great. Masako Kanaha, thank you so much for joining us here on Human Events Daily. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore.